You're listening to the Women's Health Cast, a podcast on issues and innovations in women's health from the University of Wisconsin-Madison Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology. I'm Jackie Askins. Imagine if getting a birth control prescription was as easy as picking up the phone or opening an app and answering a few questions about your health history. Dr. Mary Landry made that possible for some UW-Madison students. She joined the Women's Health Cast to talk about how her telehealth program makes it easier for UW students to get birth control and what similar programs and apps mean for birth control availability in an increasingly restrictive landscape. Today, I am sitting down with Dr. Mary Landry to talk about telemedicine and birth control and women's health. Thank you so much for joining me. You bet. Thank you for having me. I want to learn a little bit about what your practice looks like, um, what kinds of patients you see, and what are some of the common questions or concerns they bring to you. So I'm a OBGYN trained and currently work at University Health Services, which is a clinic on the UW-Madison campus. Um, I work specifically in the women's health clinic in the area of reproductive and sexual health. Um, our patients at UW-Madison are students or visiting scholars. They generally range in age from 17 to early 50s. Um, the majority are from the United States, but we are the primary site serving all the international students as well as visiting scholars. In terms of types of patients' uh, concerns that they bring, they can be anything that is preventative health care in the realm of uh, reproductive age women. So it could be questions about how to prevent or have a healthy pregnancy, could be sexually transmitted infection testing or concerns, could be abnormal uterine bleeding, um, vulvar pain, pain with intercourse, pelvic pain. So very broad, we do procedures in our clinic as well as um, problem-focused and preventative women's health care. So we're here to talk today about a telehealth or telemedicine birth control program that you piloted at UHS at, um, for UW-Madison students. But to make sure we have kind of the, the good background for this, what is telehealth or telemedicine? What does that mean? Yeah, telehealth and telemedicine are actually two different things, but commonly a term used interchangeably. So telehealth, by um, sort of common um, uh, terms, is delivering health care or patient education um, when a provider is not in the same location as the patient or the person that they're trying to impact care of. Telemedicine is something that is actually defined in Wisconsin state statutes as delivering health care from a provider to an individual with the use of visual interaction. So, so this is a telehealth birth control program that we're going to learn about. Yeah. I guess um, just to clarify, so at least in Wisconsin, that means telemedicine means there's a video component. This is Correct. sort of a Skype call with your doctor kind of Correct. thing. Okay. Yep. Good. And the Wisconsin statute requires with that video visit that both the provider and the patient need to be within the boundaries of the state of Wisconsin. And that's why we chose to have these encounters developed by phone and then surveyed our students who participated in that type of care and asked them whether or not over the phone was a problem and did they prefer to have a video chat instead. 
What need were you filling for? So what kinds of, I guess, what kind of interaction did you have with the patients? What were they coming to you for that you could have this conversation over the phone? So what we were trying to address with developing telehealth was barriers to care. And without doing a needs assessment fully and uh, formally, by being connected with our patient population, we knew that as simple as busy schedules, that there were reasons that it was difficult to step into our space to receive the care. And I will say that in part, I was asked by some what might be considered more privileged students, like medical students who we serve, who just don't have time on busy rotations to come in. And so they would ask, hey, Dr. Landry, you know, I saw you last year. I just can't get in because I'm on an away rotation in northern Wisconsin, but I need to talk about my birth control, make a change, or simply need a refill. Um, and so in that context, I felt comfortable doing it, and I challenged myself to hold up the mirror and say, okay, Mary, if you're doing this for some students, why aren't you doing this for all students? So... I guess I kind of want to play act like I am one of your telehealth birth control students. Mm -hmm. um, as the patient, how does this process start for me? What do I do first? Great. So most of our patients self-schedule, whether they're coming into the clinic for a sore throat, for um, vaginal symptoms, or for birth control. So they log into my UHS, have a secure password to do so, and go to the women's health um, uh, section um, and look at all the potential reasons that they could come in to access care for. They select a section on birth control, contraception, and then within that section, they're offered opportunities to receive information electronically, like our IUD consult is made available by the web portal. Um, they can make a contraception appointment and are offered the option of either coming into clinic for an appointment or that's our first way of educating them about the telehealth option. If you'd prefer to receive your birth control by a phone consultation, they can select that. Like all of our students who are coming in for any reason, preventative or problem-focused, they're asked before the appointment to fill out an online questionnaire, again, securely through our portal. They fill out the questionnaire about contraception needs, um, and it's exactly the same questionnaire as they would fill out if they were coming in to have a contraception appointment with one of the providers. What kinds of things does it ask about? It asks general questions about their health history, their um, sexual contact history, um, and specifically geared toward the um, contraindications to certain types of birth control, which really sort of centers on estrogen. Mm -hmm. So if they have active liver disease, if they have high blood pressure, if they have themselves or a family member with a blood clot, a breast problem, uh, migraines with aura, to list the most common ones that impact women in our age range. But essentially, it's the same process, scheduling online, filling out a questionnaire before the visit, and the only difference is they don't have to come to our clinic, step through our doors. They can do it by phone. 
Once the patient then fills out that whole questionnaire, yep. so what does the provider do with that information? I mean, you mentioned some contraindications, some yep. things, some conditions that people have that might make an option less good for them, yep. I guess. Um, but yeah, tell me more about how you process that information to kind of guide your recommendations. So the nurses during the scheduled time slot look to make sure that the patient has completed their FERPA or HIPAA form. They review the questionnaire and review the patient's chart for past visits and vitals. Do we have blood pressures? Um, and then at the allotted time, they call the patient and hear what the patient's priorities are for contraception access. If they have a contraindication to estrogen, we still deliver contraceptive care just like we would in the clinic sitting in front of the patient but it does limit if estrogen is contraindicated, the method that we can prescribe to progesterone only. And just like we do with a patient sitting in front of us, we talk about the alternative methods to estrogen, most specifically the LARCs, very popular on campus, are both Nexplanon and even more so IUDs. I guess I wanted to ask, um, and it makes sense, what... There, that there would be some limitations about what you can offer over the phone. Mm -hmm. um, so what kind of is the range of options that patients will get if they go through this uh, telehealth process? So we consider it the full range, same as if they were sitting in front of us. If they can't take estrogen, then that means that they can't have estrogen-containing pills, the estrogen-containing patch, and the vaginal ring all contain estrogen. But just like if they were sitting in front of us in clinic, they're offered all the other options. So that would be the progesterone-only pills. That would be the Depo-Provera shot. Obviously, we can't deliver a shot through the phone or Skype. So we can prescribe the shot, and then the patient would then access a nurse visit in clinic in order to receive the shot. We can prescribe IUDs. We can prescribe Nexplanon. Same uh a workflow as we have in clinic. Once you've worked through your process and kind of landed on uh, the right choice for this patient, mm -hmm. um, let's say you've shared an example like they're on an away rotation medical school, so they're calling in from Wausau or some, yep. you know, somewhere a few hours away yep. from where we are. Um, how do they actually get the prescription then? Um, let's say they were prescribed the pill. Yep. How do they get their pills? They tell us what pharmacy they want us to send it to, and we electronically send it to that pharmacy. Just exactly the same process as if they were in clinic with us. So this was a pilot program. What did you learn? What kind of feedback did you get, and what data did you get out of this pilot? Yeah, so a, couple, a lot of things, but uh, organized into how did the patients feel about it, and from the perspective of providers and the health organization, did it improve our ability to provide care to these patients as well as to other patients in our community? So the number of providers over the course of the pilot and into this point in the year has been the same. But what we found by delivering the care through telehealth is that we could, in the same time that it would take to face-to-face -to -face see one patient, we could see, not literally, but we could deliver care to two patients because they don't have to step into our space. 
So we increased our clinic in one semester number of visits by 10%. It was over 350. From the patient's perspective, which is my 100% number one priority, is how did they uh, experience the care? We had uh, 97% very satisfied or satisfied patient satisfaction survey. 96% of them said they would do this again next year. 92% of them said the phone conversation is preferred over doing a video chat. The number one reason that they liked it, though, was because it was convenient and time-efficient for them. Not only did it not take a half-an-hour in-clinic appointment, but they didn't have to take the time to get to our clinic and then wait for the prescription electronically through the pharmacy. So super time-efficient for them and very confidential. We got very positive feedback in our questions from the students in the patient satisfaction survey that um, affirmed that uh, sexual assault survivors were more comfortable getting their care this way because they were uncomfortable with the idea of coming into clinic. There are patients who are non-binary to walk into the women's clinic, the sexual health clinic, um, was not a comfortable space for them. It allows those students to also receive contraceptive care without us requiring them to walk through our door, to step into our space at a time that they might not feel like that is best for them. So for me, it's addressing barriers and quite honestly, location-wise, I see this as potentially being a service that should and could be made available beyond college campuses in other parts of communities in our state that have restricted access to contraceptive care and reproductive care. You mentioned um, part of the feedback of a really high percentage of students said that they would happily do this again next year. Um, and that actually made me think of, there is an aspect of the, the face-to-face appointment sometimes that, like, your regular screenings, like there's a time schedule where people should be coming in for uh, cervical cancer screenings and different things. So um, how are, how is that going to balance out? Um, and I guess... Do you have plans to kind of make sure that while people are, can meet their contraceptive needs from the, the distance model, that they do remember to come in sort of at that appropriate schedule for other very important health screenings? Yes. At every one of our visits over the phone or in person, in addition to talking about contraception, we're reviewing pap screening guidelines. We're um, assessing and making a recommendation about HPV vaccination. Um, as well as for someone who's never had a blood pressure in our system, um, advising that a blood pressure will be needed uh, at some time in the next year before prescription again. So yes, super important that we don't let those things fall off the radar. STI screening, we have drop-in availability. So if someone's due for STI screening, during that phone conversation, telehealth contraceptive visit, we can make the recommendation and they could walk in again with 
a very brief interaction with a nurse and do self-collected STI screening. Super important that we don't forget about the rest of someone's health and preventative health need, but we're essentially looking at it very differently than traditional medicine. Rather than requiring that a patient have a pap smear in order to provide contraceptive care or require that someone be up to date on blood pressure screening, if she doesn't want to be pregnant, I don't want her to be pregnant. That is the priority. And in my way of thinking, really should be the priority. And hopefully, she will also get the rest of her care. But if the rest of that preventative care is not as much of a priority as her avoiding pregnancy, I think I should join her in shared decision-making, shared risk-taking, and support her choice that contraception and unplanned pregnancy prevention should remain our number one goal, and hopefully the rest of it will come before there's a health problem. So learning more about your program also kind of made me think about um, app-based or online um, subscription-based birth control prescription programs. Um, I have some names in my head, but I don't want to name drop them on here. Um, Does that kind of program also qualify as telehealth? Absolutely. Okay. Yep. And I really think that that is the direction in the future of how we are going to address barriers for some people um, by being more creative and inclusive with how we deliver care rather than the traditional model of you have to come to us in order for us to provide you with care. So absolutely at base and the college age population is driving how we deliver care. Like I said, we don't give anything on paper. Our patients don't call to make appointments. It's all done online. So as much as I think I'm really good at in-person one-on-one interaction, if that's not important to her at this moment in time when she needs care, then I'm going to meet her where she needs to be met in order to reduce any barriers that she or they might have regarding reproductive care. So, yeah, app base, you bet. Yeah. So I, I did want to um, ask what you thought of it sort of as a, but it sounds like, you know, as long as the If you had asked me 10 thorough, years ago, I would have been, no. I am... Um, very much in favor of because I have done a 180 switch in um, how I think about um, health access and barriers to care. And we have to be um, more inclusive, including what, you know, are young and or international and or however someone might identify as how they feel care would be best received. That is the, the biggest thing I think when I think of these programs is, you know, we're kind of in a, an environment right now where birth control access is, is being chipped away at a little bit. It's yeah. kind of getting increasingly restricted uh, in a lot of different ways. And I, so I just wonder what kind of role these systems, these apps or uh, a quick phone call with your provider kind of system will play in improving contraceptive care access, which is just so important to me. Right. You know, I think about it two different ways. And one side of me is 
I don't want to marginalize the importance of contraceptive care and have it not be worthy of an in-person interaction with a provider. So I very strongly feel that that type of care, again, if best for a patient, needs to be made available. However, if someone lives um, in an area where physically being in the same space with a provider is not possible, or if to the patient it's not important um, enough to travel um, four hours to sit in the same space with the provider, um, yeah, we have got to be thinking outside the box of how to best deliver um, evidence-based contraceptive care so that we are helping women to have pregnancies when they want to and not have pregnancies when they don't. It also, though, is about quality of life and not only about pregnancy prevention. We use contraception to manage a lot of medical conditions that are debilitating to women and make it incredibly difficult for them to reliably be able to step into their life every day. So to support women being engaged fully in their lives, as well as having control over reproducing, we have to change how we deliver the care. I think about it in the context of rural Wisconsin, and I think about if this is telehealth for contraception is something that's highly acceptable and desired by students who are less than a mile away from where their clinic is, then, wow, this could be incredibly powerful and um, for communities a, a game changer when we're trying to address health disparities in more remote or rural parts of our state and our country, quite honestly. Traditionally, yeah, we have to expand. we got to think way outside the box um, in order to address health disparities. Thank you so much for You're sitting welcome. down with me. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. On our next episode, we'll wrap up 2019 with a conversation about some of the biggest issues and policies that affected women's health this year, and look ahead at what to expect in 2020 with the help of a very special guest expert. The Women's Health Cast is a production of the UW-Madison Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology. This episode was produced and engineered by Rob Garza. You can find the Women's Health Cast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at WISCOBGYN. Let us know how we're doing, rate and review us in your podcast app, and let us know what women's health topics you'd like to learn about. Thanks for listening.